prefer listening to opinions and fear. I prefer need. You sent me to hell, Jason. I really just want to make everybody jealous. I, I'm a person from Earth. Listen, what are we talking about? We the smartest dumb guys I've ever met. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Sarwark, how you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so, <laughs> how you? Yeah, I just uh, want to touch bases with you. Uh, this is Eamon, by the way. I talked to you uh, previously. I believe Adam talked yeah. with your uh, secretary to get things going. But uh, anyway, so we wanted you on because you know uh, this is this is the podcast opinions. And beer, and we uh, firstly uh, sh- uh, distribute our opinions, uh, and sometimes we we consider ourselves uh, libertarian in our views whenever we uh, start talking about more uh, uh, headlining yeah. subjects. Yeah, I think that the whole opinions idea in general of our podcast is more of like freedom based, etc. You know that that entire portion of it, it leans more libertarian, but uh, mm. but sometimes when we're looking at the uh, I guess the ideology that follows uh, the libertarian path, uh, sometimes we're like, oh, are we even libertarian? So we wanted to get you on to see and ask, <laughs> you know, what is a libertarian? Uh, I think at its core, libertarian is somebody who believes that other people should be free to pursue happiness however they choose as long as they don't hurt other people and they don't take their stuff so i mean that everybody kind of wants libertarianism for themselves um even some of the the worst people in the world want the freedom to do their own thing uh the 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 real distinction between libertarians and people from other political ideologies is that being willing to give that freedom to other people to let other people make choices that maybe you wouldn't agree with, but, you know, feeling like if they're peaceful, they should be allowed to live their lives how they choose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So um, with that out of the way, that was the big one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We'd like to hear kind of like more about your past. Um, What brought you to the point of where you are now and kind of like your own words, etc.? Yeah, so um, I have been a libertarian since I was very young. Um, my father actually brought me to county meetings here in Phoenix, um, you know, when I was just a kid and, uh, probably around 11 years old, I read a copy of David Berglund's Libertarianism in One Lesson, um, that he had on his shelf and it made sense to me, you know, the, the idea that the government shouldn't be trying to figure out how other people should live and that we should let peaceful people do what they want. And so I've been a libertarian ever since, um, kind of like a second-generation libertarian. When I got out of college uh, back in 98, I got involved in the National Party. I joined, uh, you know, paid my dues and got the newsletter and the whole deal, and um, got involved in the Libertarian Party of Maryland, ended up being state chair there, uh, was involved for a long time, and then stepped back a little bit to go to law school, moved out to Colorado uh, after law school, ended up being vice chair of the Colorado Libertarian Party. And then in uh, 2014, I was attending 
I believe my seventh national convention and decided to run for chair of the party and I got elected and I've been chair ever since um, going in my third term now yeah yeah for sure um, I've definitely been keeping keeping track I've uh, been along for the ride at least since uh, I want to say uh, 2016 is whenever I started really paying attention 2015 2016 uh, to uh, some of the more core ideology of the libertarian parties I went kind of from like a smaller L to a big L so um, that's that's really cool man so so in your past I know that uh, I know that you're you're also a uh, you also took over like a, a car dealership from your father yeah so my my grandfather started a dealership here in Phoenix back in 1942 um, it's actually the oldest independent car dealership in Phoenix at this point, uh, 77 years now. And uh, it was probably late, tw- the like the fall of 2014, uh, my father told me he wanted to, you know, get out of it and actually retire um, rather than, you know, staying at the dealership until close to his death, which is what my grandfather did. He was 87. Um, when he passed and he was at the lot probably two weeks prior to uh, passing away and so we moved down here in fall of 2014 and so that's the the day job that keeps the bills paid yeah yeah so uh and you wait wait are you saying that uh uh you're not uh, rich off politics yet I am not. The, uh, the Libertarian National Committee does not pay their chairperson. What? Uh, the two old parties do that, uh, and I, I think they probably overpay, given the quality of, of yeah. their leadership. Yeah. Uh, I just figured, I thought we were talking to a, uh, a billionaire here. <laughs> yeah, you oh, dialed well. the wrong oh, all, Well, yeah. all libertarians have the fedoras and just a stack of, like, wads, wads of hundreds in their pockets, so. Yeah. I, had a, I had a buddy say that to me one time. He said, hey, do you know how you can uh, spot a libertarian in a room? And I was like, I don't know how. And he's like, yeah, they're the ones that's always wearing the fedoras, so. <laughs> it's funny. I, I thought it was good. Yeah, man. So, uh, so you've you've studied law. Um, for, uh, ha- tell tell me a little bit more about your law degree, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, um, I went to American University's Washington College of Law for law school, uh, and then ended up taking a a job as a deputy state public defender in Colorado, uh, and did that for five years. Um, defending the indigent accused basically being that uh that line from the miranda warning and uh, i think it tried an exact number probably about 36 trials to a jury everything from you know misdemeanor dui and stuff to uh, a couple of first degree murder cases oh wow wow so what would you say uh well how, how did you you're not really doing that as much anymore obviously uh like, what was the personal satisfaction that you took out of being a, uh, a lawyer? Personal well, so defender. being a public defender, um, you know, I think it's, we all fight for liberty in our own way, but the opportunity to uh, defend people who are accused of crimes by the state, who can't afford an attorney, um, you get to fight for liberty on a, a literal level. You know, you, you actually get to 
set people free from cages. So there's a real satisfaction there. Um, and just, you know, pushing back, uh, we have, we live in an age of over incarceration and over prosecution and a criminal justice system that is fundamentally flawed, but it's extra flawed if you're, if you're poor or a person of color. And so being able to kind of stand in the breach there a little bit and push back on that is very satisfying. There, the thing about practicing law as a trial attorney, especially in criminal defense, where it's not just money, it's, it's people's lives, is it's kind of like playing really high-stakes poker. So if you win, uh, it's a really great feeling. You know, getting a not-guilty yeah. verdict yeah. on a first-degree murder case is amazing. Um, but if you lose, you know, I've been to... Um, you know, gone out with colleagues after they lost a big first degree murder case and, you know, their client's going to go die in prison. And that's brutal. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, not, not doing that day to day. It's, um, it's probably less stressful, <laughs> but, uh, I miss it, it sometimes. It's, it's less stressful than the LNC chair position. God. Yeah. The LNC chair position is, you know, that's, uh, nothing but fun. Yeah, yeah. Now, oh, uh, I, I know, I know. That's what awesome. would the, what would the, what's the like the stance of the Libertarian Party um, direction when it comes to reforming the system? Like, what would that entail? Um, so the biggest thing, uh, and this is, you know, I come back to this all the time. The biggest thing that we could do to fix the criminal justice system in this country is to end the racist war on drugs. Because almost all of the other bad things that are happening in our criminal justice system were justified or created as part of that war on drugs. And, um, you know, when when Nixon put that into place, and there's a, a good quote from, I think, John Ehrlichman, who was his policy advisor, where he said straight out, you know, we couldn't make it illegal to be black or to be a hippie, but we could take something that they all used, uh, namely marijuana, and we could prosecute that, and that was the way that we could use the power of the government against the blacks and the hippies without having to say it. Very, very eloquently spoken. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I, I'm totally on board with you, man. So I got I got kind of a, uh, a joke here. So you're, you're a lawyer, a car salesman, and a politician, how do you how do you sleep at night? Um, usually on my side. No, it's it just it uh, all it does is it, it further solidifies my inability to you know be dishonest in any way. <laughs> right. Um, there's no way you could balance very ethical profession. Yeah, there's no way that you could balance lies on all three platforms. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, now obviously, uh, you know the Libertarian Party they attract people from all sides of the spectrum uh the well there's a lot of um a lot of the right-leaning libertarians they when they run they don't necessarily completely conform to the name tag libertarian such as you know glenn jacobs or maybe even um uh, rand paul i would say they 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 kind of they kind of express libertarian ideas, but they you know they they kind of run as Republican and they say, well, I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm socially liberal, and that's why I have some libertarian ideals. But uh, 
what exactly is it that causes that them not being able to completely switch over to libertarian? It's easier. Uh, really, it comes down to that. You know, it's it's easier in states or cities where, you know, if if in most elections the Republican candidate candidate gets twenty percent more votes than the Democratic candidate, then they see that as an easy way to get elected to office. The other thing that makes it easier is if you if you're a Republican, if you identify as a Republican, there are no standards. You know, there, there's no policy prescription you can give me where I can say, you know, I'm sure that a Republican wouldn't do that. Um, and so it gives it gives you a convenient out where if you want to go along to get along and support some terrible policy or some endorse some terrible politician, you can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not like a big L libertarian. Uh, you know, I'm just a little L libertarian. And so it lets you pick and choose. I think, you know, the, the positive side of it is libertarian is a much cooler label than Republican. Yeah. Republican's <laughs> kind of, you know, like a garbage term right now. And so I think that that's bringing people closer to us. But a lot of it is, you know, like I said at the top of the show, it's that willingness to give the respect that you, you want for yourself to others. You know, there's a, there's an old joke uh, that libertarians are just Republicans who smoke pot, and it's not true. Uh, a lot of Republicans smoke pot. I know plenty of Republicans who smoke pot. I've smoked pot with Republicans. <laughs> libertarians are people who don't want to put other people in cages for smoking pot. Right. And it's that kind of, you know, I want this privilege for myself but I don't want to extend it to people who are not like me, that is the real distinction between, you know, the big L and the little L libertarians. The big L libertarians are all about freedom for everybody, and the little L libertarians are all about freedom for people that look like me. Does that mean that you're you're pro the Republicans uh, doing whatever they want? Because technically you said that they have less restrictions on their policy, so they have freedom. To do what they want in their policy. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely free to do whatever it is that they think is the best thing to do, whether it's you know supporting the president or you know. But, but would you say? But you kind of said that uh, you know libertarian the libertarian party have a uh, have a little bit more of a guideline and restrictions. Yeah, there's a there's a fundamental driving principle. Yeah. I mean, the libertarian party is the only ideological political party in the country you know I, you would be hard-pressed to say this is what democrats believe or this is what republicans believe because it changes based on the polls and really based on whether or not they're in power you know you've got like just for example you've got a president that signed i think it was 10 different appropriations bills that had no funding for the stupid wall on the southern border but as soon as his party is not in the majority anymore when the next appropriation bill shows up that doesn't have funding for his stupid wall on the southern border it's now an emergency emergency. wasn't an emergency before when when they had control of the government but as soon as they're out of power it's a big old emergency do you think that it may hinder people that are trying to dip their toes in libertarianism 
that maybe the the more hardcore you know buy the book uh get angry if you are wrong uh, libertarians oh if, are you are you saying like the the purist libertarian? yeah the purist kind of, that's what do you it's think kind of referred do you think like the uh do you think purist may uh may may kind of hinder the growth of the libertarian yeah, party yeah that's an absolute fact it it really just depends whether or not you're mean about it you know i, I think that one of the things that's very important and one of the key differences the Libertarian Party has from other political parties is we say what we mean and we mean what we say. Right? We're, we're consistent about what our guiding principles are and we try and you know, follow them as, as well as we can. Nobody's perfect. You know, if, if you go and call somebody names or you attack them or you engage in some sort of, you know, I'm more libertarian than you or you... You know, you're not a real libertarian because that's not going to help anybody. No, not But at, at the same time, if somebody says, you know, I'm a libertarian and it's libertarian to build a wall on the southern border and stop people from coming into this country, you know, that's not a libertarian position. Yeah. You might be a libertarian that doesn't follow all the libertarian positions, right? But it's kind of like... Um, you know, the, the, the analogy to church, you want to be open to people coming who aren't perfect yet, but you don't want to start preaching that imperfection. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to keep anybody there that way. So that's a, that's a good point that I'd kind of like to address. So you personally, uh, for the most part, you are like kind of like the embodiment of a lot of people's libertarian ideology. How would you say that you actually personally differ from like the platform in certain instances? Because some a lot of libertarians, uh, you know, they have like a, a wave effect where they they have the liber main libertarian ideologies and then you know fluctuate on some of the issues. I'd kind of get yeah. like I'd like to get a, a personal uh, opinion on yours. I don't. There's not a lot in the platform that I can think of that I disagree with. Um, you know, I've been pretty good. I mean, part of it is if if you've been going to national conventions since 2000, um, I've been involved in a lot of yeah. <laughs> the creation of the platform yeah, yeah. as a delegate. So, you know, every so often something slips in that I don't like that much. Um, you know, like for a while, our, our free trade and migration plank had some language that wasn't very clear about um, restricting credible threats or something that a lot of people were using in in a way to say that, you know, it's okay to have a Muslim ban because yeah. Muslims are, are just dangerous per se. And that's not only bigoted, it, it's nuts. Uh, and it's definitely not libertarian, and so that plank got cleaned up at the uh, the last national convention. So it's a little a little clearer about what we believe. But there's nothing really in the platform that I think I disagree with too much. Okay, so maybe that's why they made me chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on some of the uh, the issues that you know most people are looking towards, because we don't we don't necessarily have like a. a strong libertarian following or anything 
But uh, so so to give kind of the general populace that do listen to our podcast uh, more more of ideas on some of your stances, like what what would you say would be like your stance on like the Second Amendment? Um, we fully support uh, the Second Amendment. Um, I believe that you should be allowed to own pretty much any weapon that you can carry. Uh, you know, the whole tank rocket launcher. You know. <laughs> nuclear bomb thing seems a little wacky to me but you know the the deal is it the amendments there uh to to kind of protect our right to defend ourselves um and i think watering it down or trying to to cut off little bits of it is just a bad idea but 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 wasn't that about muskets oh it was about muskets um Muskets were weapons of war. But it I took mean, like you know, it took like thirty minutes to load. Yeah, well, you know, and the the First Amendment's all about uh, you know Gutenberg style uh, impact printing presses with big yeah. old wheels and like well, they, oh, they, but they also had like so technically shit, so. so technically we could shut down the newspapers. Maybe <laughs> no uh, more freedom. You know, if, They're if not pressing anymore. That, you know. The idea in uh, any sort of constitution or, or in the law generally is you try and interpret the law in a way that it, it applies to to the changing world that we live in. So if you have new technology, you try and analogize it if you can. If you can't, then you got to pass new laws. But, um, you know, I think that we should continue to allow people to own whatever weapons they choose to own as long as they're peaceful with them right like doesn't mean you get to go shoot people with your guns it just means that you get to have your guns to protect yourself if you feel like you need to okay uh you want you want me to ask that question yeah okay yeah (laughs) what type of judge would you look for (laughs) a point if given the opportunity i think it means Uh, like a supreme court judge or or whatnot yeah these are some of the filled uh viewer questions as well so yeah, so as far as, um, you know, what, what, who would be a good judge for the Supreme Court, it's going to be somebody that tries to look at the law objectively um, and has, you know, as far as a judicial philosophy, I think that presumption of liberty, the idea that you're going to try and interpret laws in a way that maximizes individual freedom and, and minimizes the amount of state power or state control. Okay. Um, you know, I, I prefer judges that look at the actual um, text of laws. Uh, Clint Bullock, who uh, just got appointed to the Arizona Supreme Court, is a big fan of that, um, where you, you start with the language. You don't start with, you know, what did people say during the debate in the legislature? You don't start with, you know, what what articles have people written about it? You start with, what does the law say? You know, most of ours are written in English, and uh, try and figure out what it means based on the words uh, before you start going out in all these different directions. Now, we like to, uh, we like to jump around a little bit. Um, I want to talk about a little bit of, uh, I guess, current news and ask a little bit about that. Uh, I guess Michael Cohen's in the uh, in the news again for something in the past about emails in 2017. But uh, do you think that 
Do you think that, was it like 5 million people were affected by Russian memes to vote for Donald Trump? Oh, I guess that's a good point. I don't know. Um, you know, Facebook has often lied about their, their stats. Uh, the most famous one being that their whole pivot to video turned out to be just made up numbers. Um, you know, I think that it does appear that there was a coordinated effort to try and, you know, do some sort of social media influence. How many, uh, trying to figure out who was influenced or how many people were influenced or what it actually made them do is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, because you'd have to go and, and, you know, ask everybody and so, so, then assume that they're going to tell you the truth. So do you think do that I, the uh, the entire uh, commission that they have going to, to investigate Donald Trump, do you think that that's like a waste of time or is that like a valid valid thing to pursue? I mean, just for, for people in general that don't really understand it, because not, not very many people pay attention to this stuff. So they listen yeah. to sound bites and stuff that, that come across the news or whatever. And then, you know, so we want to get like your opinion on that. Yeah, so, I mean... If you have, under our current laws, um, foreign nationals are not permitted to engage in U.S. politics. Every so often, you know, we get somebody who is from overseas and they send a note to the Libertarian Party and they say, I really like what you're doing. I want to send you a hundred bucks or whatever. And we have to tell them, no, we're not allowed to take money from people <laughs> overseas. Um, you know, we appreciate your support. You can sign up for the email list or whatever. Would you take memes? <laughs> we might. <laughs> I, think, active, I think that the libertarian meme, meme game library. is pretty fucking strong. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 not the best, but we're definitely not the worst. In so, fact, uh, one of the ways that I actually found out about the libertarian party in general was uh, was kind of like whenever memes were first starting to show up. There was one about uh, Penn Teller, uh, uh, Penn Pinslet. I'm sorry, who who said you know. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to control other people's lives. Essentially, was like what it said, and that just, that really, really like reverberated with me. I was like, really, you know, like that's somebody actually believes this besides me. That's crazy. Yeah, it's um, his his libertarianism is kind of that humble libertarianism where you know he may not even be making the right choices for himself, let alone tell somebody else. But as far as the the special counsel's investigation. You know, if if we have laws that say that you can't have foreign nationals engaging in U.S. politics, and there's evidence that foreign nationals are engaging in U.S. politics, you know, it's it's as legitimate a criminal investigation as anything else. Yeah. yeah. And you know that it's very clear to me that there's definitely some campaign finance violations with all the you know the Stormy Daniels payments and um, probably some charity fraud with stuff like, uh, you know, the president paying for some painting at an auction with, like, money <laughs> that was given to his charity. Oh, my God. Like, it, there's a bunch of shady stuff that oh, was yeah. done. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not saying Michael Cohen's a great guy. He seems like sort of, <laughs> you know, not a very good guy or a very good lawyer. Um, but what has been, what I find to be kind of disturbing is that there's nothing 
that the president could do that will make his supporters not support him. Yeah. No matter what their stated principles are, you can you can show them this is the way in which he violates the principles that you say are important to you. And they will either wave their hands and say, well, that's fake news or that's not real. Or say, well, you know, who cares? So that's that's a good point, because you can take that and say, well, you know, a lot of Republicans may not disagree with Donald Trump, but a lot of Democrats slash liberals do. And I think that what we've seen, what I've personally seen throughout the uh, the past elections was actually a very surprisingly large amount of uh, uh, Democrats and socialists like even full-blown communists that started embracing uh, more libertarian ideals and come to the party. How, how do you kind of market libertarianism towards um, people, people more centered towards the left? You know, um, focusing on things like criminal justice reform and equal protection, uh, you know, the free speech stuff, open immigration, those are issues that that resonate really strongly with people who come from you know kind of a progressive place uh you know my experience running for mayor here in phoenix was you know i got some of the best reception at um what you would consider to be very left-leaning uh debates because it turns out that my democratic opponents didn't really support things like police reform or body cameras or, you know, ending racial profiling or or all the things that they say that they support, they didn't support uh, as, as much as they said. And that's, that's a place where, you know, that's always been how we recruit, right? Yeah. Because if you, if you look at the internal surveys of people who are uh, in the libertarian party, roughly a third of them, uh, used to be Republicans, roughly a third of them used to be Democrats, and roughly a third used to be, you know, either independent or nothing or didn't even like politics. Yeah. And people come to us because we have that authenticity, right? You know, we, we believe in all of your freedoms all the time, and the old parties don't anymore. So you, we get people who are conservatives, who really believe that, you know, even... If they personally have a very traditional morality in their own lives, or in their own families, that it's not for the government to go tell other people how to live their lives because they didn't want that to happen to them. And they leave the Republican Party because it turns out that they don't really meet their values. You have a lot of progressives that really believe that this should be the land of opportunity for anybody who wants to come here and make a better life for themselves. And then they get, you know, Bernie Sanders basically agreeing with Donald Trump on building a wall and, and blocking people from coming here um, out of some sort of economic nationalism about, you know, they're stealing our jobs. And so they're disappointed with that. And then they end up at the Libertarian Party because we actually, we share their values. You know, you, you, talk, you talked about how, you know, you'd, uh, you made a pretty, you made pretty good impressions in uh, Arizona, running for mayor. Do, uh, speaking of impressions, do you think uh, do you think Gary Johnson was ready for national media attention? You know, I think he did very very well. Um, 
if you look at just the the vote totals, the 2016 election was the highest number of votes the Libertarian Party's ever received, uh, roughly three times our previous record. Um, we actually covered the spread between the first place and the second place candidates, which is something we'd never done on a national level. Yeah. You know, when you talk about um, sort of organized efforts to influence an election on social media and whatnot, uh, you have to remember it wasn't just the winning side that did that. Um, there was a very concerted sort of funnel of, um, you know, the the Democratic campaign headquarters in Brooklyn would watch things like Morning Joe and the MSNBC interviews and then cut out the most embarrassing clip possible and then push those out through their social media <laughs> streams yeah. at a lightning pace. And it was very organized. You know, I know that at least one of the times that he was um, on an interview where he gave an answer that was not good and then, you know, everybody used it to say that he wasn't ready for prime time. Oh, yeah, the whole Aleppo you thing, know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of those, he... He ended up doing that show, it was a 5 a.m. call, and he had just been at a rally in, I think, Seattle the night before, um, because I was at that rally. He had just and he, you know, so flew out on a red eye, uh, showed up at the studio, and, you know, the media doesn't necessarily play fair, no, and no. that's what we should expect, so... You know, could Gary Johnson have given better answers to some questions and, and been better in some interviews? Absolutely. Do I think that it all falls on him? No, not entirely. You know, it's one of those things. We can change what we can change. We can't change how other people are. So if the media wants to hit you with a question that you think is unfair, that's on them. All, yeah. all you control is how you respond to it. Yeah, and a lot of that issue is like, I mean, it's not even... It's not even relevant now, you know, and people focus so hard on it. And the, it just goes to show that the, the uh, sides and the media were playing politics with it. So um, this is a pretty good uh, issue because, like, I, I, you know, like, what what does Aleppo matter? Like, I don't, I don't think that it really matters whenever it comes to my children's future, like my money going towards that. It doesn't make any sense at all. So no, uh, it, it the, doesn't. But but here's the thing about that. It's not about Aleppo. It's not about... One of the things I learned in, in practicing law was the jury doesn't really care so much about the jury instructions. They care about who they think is good and who they think is bad in that courtroom. Who's better and who's worse. And then they'll find an instruction or they'll find some fact to you know justify the belief they already have. Most of the people who were critical of Gary Johnson during the campaign or Bill Weld during the campaign, they already decided that they weren't going to vote for him. They just needed something that they could tell themselves so they could sleep at night. Exactly. exactly. Something to latch on to. You know, how does the uh, Libertarian Party feel about uh, foreign aid compared to the other yeah, parties? Yeah, like foreign aid and intervention. How, how do you defer? Uh, so we do not support governmental foreign aid for other countries. Uh, there's no reason that the government should be taking tax dollars from people in this country to give it to the leaders and the governments of, of other countries. 
usually, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, the net the net effect is that you take money from poor people here to give it to rich people over there. Uh, so it's just a fundamentally broken system. You know, we definitely support international relations and diplomacy, um, especially public diplomacy, where people from this country go and you know engage in one-on-one interactions with people from other countries or start businesses, things like that. Um, because then it's a lot more focused and it's a lot more accountable. You know, if if foreign aid money just kind of disappears somewhere in Afghanistan. Nobody really ends up in trouble for that. But if you find out that the Red Cross or some other charity misspends your money, they suffer an immediate penalty because people stop giving them money. So, you know, it's all about kind of systems of accountability. As far as intervention, you know, we are opposed to any kind of intervention overseas um, outside of actually being attacked, right? If, If nobody attacks us, then we don't attack other people. Yeah. So um, one of the things that you did kind of comment on a little bit was how the 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 media and uh, in your words, like kind of like the jury or whatever, kind of skewed everything. Um, I'd like to get your comments on like what's like the media versus the government narrative and how sometimes and a lot like right now you'd say kind of the media is versus the government. But in other times, in fact, most times, if not all it's usually like the media is in bed with the government. Yeah, I don't know if it's really the media against the government. Um, You know, institutional power tends to support institutional power, uh, just as a general rule. So, you know, even the media that's hostile to the current administration, they're not hostile to the power. They're hostile to... uh, sort of the the optics of using it incorrectly or or the lack of respect for the office or the institutions or the norms um and that's kind of the the um you know so it's it's not so much of a fight as it is maybe certain parts of the media don't like it when the other side is in charge yeah yeah um but they don't they don't oppose the institution. It's kind of, you know, um, I was asked this by an environmental journalist back when President Obama removed us from the, or sorry, President Trump removed us from the Paris Accords. Yeah. And they said, well, what do you think about that? And I said, well, you know, it's probably not great as an environmental policy thing, but as a libertarian, my bigger problem is that the last president could get us into an international agreement without any consent from, you know, Congress or the Senate. Um, and that this president can get us out of it. I have a bigger problem with the, with the structural power of the presidency to do something that momentous without, you know, some better sense that it actually represents the will of the country. And it, that's we're trying to take away the structural things that's the difference between libertarians and republicans and democrats republicans and democrats are all about i need to be in charge so that the people who support me get all the special favors and get the laws written in their favor and your money gets taken from you and i get to give it to these other people yeah um 
libertarians are about, hey, the system in which you take money from taxpayers and you give it to your cronies is just fundamentally wrong. Let's dismantle it. You know, it's like the national emergency thing. You know, the, the Congress voted to overturn the national emergency. The president vetoed the bill to overturn the national emergency. We'll see whether or not they have enough votes to override the veto, but probably they don't. Libertarians are all about, let's just repeal the National Emergency Act. Yeah. Because obviously it's being abused. Obviously. Let's just take away that power. Republicans and Democrats are like, no, we have to keep the power. We just don't want the wrong person to have it. Do you, do you think like that... Uh, cell phone messages. Do you believe <laughs> that the base, might ne- they might not even necessarily agree with Trump, and they actually just want to see the discourse, to see the disruption, to show the government that we can... That they can make them uh, panic? You know, I think there's some people who are supporters of the president that, that are doing it on the burn it all down chaos theory. Um, it's kind of a dangerous way to go because, you know, there's... It's a little bit, it's a little bit presumptuous to assume that out of the chaos is going to flow something that you want. Yeah, It's kind of like uh, when I went to law school, people would tell you from the statistics, you know, only 5 to 10% of the class is going to get these really high-paying jobs coming out of school. 90% of you are not going to get high-paying jobs, and you're going to have crushing student loan debt. But the nature of people that go to law school is they're used to being at the top of their class before they went to law school, so they're convinced that they're going to be in the top 5 to 10%. Even though you try and explain to them that math doesn't work like that, that only the top <laughs> 5 to 10% can be the top 5 to 10%. There's a lot of people that just don't give a shit about math, man. <laughs> well, that, that is a problem with law students generally. But it, it's, it's also this idea that somehow you know, people think they have a, they have a misconception. And I think that a lot of these people that are kind of supporting the president for burn it down reasons are assuming that what comes out of the ashes is something that they're going to want. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. You, uh, are you, do you mean like the, uh, the ever so growing uh, – well, I don't know what your views are on this, but the, the ever so growing uh, socialist – well, I guess they, they're, uh, I guess democratic socialist. They put a nice flower on it. The nice, uh, <laughs> the nice uh, socialist movement that is uh, starting to grow in the country. No, I don't think they're – they're just kind of identifying – they're problem identifiers. Problem identification is always the easiest part of anything, um, be it you know trying a case or being a consultant. It's very easy to go in and say, this is the problem, right? So the democratic socialists have gone in and said, look, people are coming out of school. They can't afford their debts. They can't discharge them in bankruptcy. Um, college is getting more expensive. This is a problem. And then they've come up with a simple solution, which is just have the government pay for the college. Um, There's the whole student loan system in this country is fundamentally corrupt because you have the government basically guaranteeing loans for banks and forcing everybody who comes out of school to have one kind of debt that they can't discharge in bankruptcy. So you can discharge your your house debt in bankruptcy um, to a certain extent. You can discharge your car debt. You can discharge your credit card debt. You can discharge, you know, the money you spent to buy a boat. Student loans, you can't discharge. And that creates a fundamental distortion in our economy. So, yeah, is there a problem when the government is 
conspiring with the banks to basically entrap people, yeah, there's a problem there. Is the solution for the government to be the the one payer for higher education? That's a that's a it's probably not a good solution. It's different, but it's not good. Um, you know, but the the thing is, it's like the people who were so excited about this administration coming in said, well, look, this president is going to bring in people who are not your traditional civil servants. You know, they're not your career bureaucrats. He's going to drain the swamp, right? <laughs> well, it turns out that when you get rid of people who follow the normal bureaucratic norms, one of the norms that they don't follow are things like ethics and nepotism and, and cronyism. And so you end up with all these administration officials now who are getting drummed out of office because they thought it was cool if they get to be head of an administra- or head of a cabinet agency and give contracts to like their brother's nephew. Yeah, exactly. They're like, sure, I get to do that. And people are like, no, you can't do that. That's not cool. They're like, what <laughs> do you mean I can't do Donald that? Of course Trump I can't. of all people would you know? like have this going on. Uh. Right. Well, and that's the thing. So yeah. You've gotten rid of these career bureaucrats, you've, quote, drained the swamp, and you've replaced them with, you know, country club cronyists. But, I, I don't but, but don't they run better. the country already? It's different. I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a bigger don't you want to put, question. Don't you want the, the faces, is, you know, the faces that run the country uh, right, right there? You know, I don't know. <laughs> say, say, I don't know. Bring I don't be to too the cynical. <laughs> at least have the Illuminati up front. Is that what yeah, exactly. Okay, like at least be able to see yeah, who's be paying. Able to identify them. Yeah, the, because the because the idea the idea that you know uh, that the the big the big banks and the corporations and the big rich guys you know paying for the uh, paying for the, um, the the laws and stuff like that have that's already <laughs> been that that's already been uh, in people's minds. I think it maybe it's a good thing that we have the faces that have already been controlling the system visible. Yeah. Well, that's just your opinion. <laughs> well, but but the question is, are you going to do anything about it, right? Because you've you've done this. You've got these corrupt individuals who are involved in government who are getting all these scandals where you know it turns out that they use government money to fly on private planes, or they gave a contract in Puerto Rico to their nephew's brother who's never done any electrical work in the past, or. You know, there's a whole litany of, of things. And what is coming out of it is not a generalized, you know, we need to stop these people from being in charge and stop this corruption. What's coming out of it instead is this weird defensiveness yeah. where, yeah. you know, all the speakers of the president are like, oh, it's totally okay. One of the things that's, that's strange is this idea of sanctuary cities uh, in general. So how would libertarians approach that ideology? So, um, sanctuary cities, first, it's important to be clear on what you mean by a sanctuary city. My understanding of that term is that a sanctuary city is one where the local law enforcement has said, we are not going to um, engage in in immigration enforcement. We're going to let Customs and Border Protection or... um, Homeland Security or, or whatever federal agency is responsible for that, they get to do that. We're going to work on keeping people in our city safe. Um, I think as a as a matter of criminal justice policy, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because the problem you run into is 
if you have your your street cops checking people's papers first of all there's a huge invasion of privacy for that you know yeah. our former sheriff here got himself into a ton of trouble about basically racially profiling people to see whether or not they were legal in the country um and ended up having to get pardoned by the president oh wow that was uh, in phoenix yeah yeah oh wow I didn't, um, I didn't even know that yeah he was held in contempt of court for um you know continuing to racially profile even after a federal judge told him to stop wow uh, and we've had just tons of human rights settlements and civil rights settlements that the taxpayers here in Maricopa County have had to pay for them. Um, so, you know, one of the problems with having street cops trying to check people's immigration papers is if somebody gets shot and killed or raped or there's an armed robbery or something, detectives are going to come around and try and interview witnesses to find out what happened. And if you're afraid that if you talk to the cops, they're going to be like, oh, and by the way, are you here legally? Do you have proper immigration status? They're not going to talk to the cops. And so you're going to have unsolved crimes and you're going to have, you know, worse violent crime problems. So it's sanctuary cities and the sanctuary city policy is it's a matter of what what are law enforcement priorities? Do you want to take violent criminals off the streets and solve crimes or do you want to, you know, try and help the federal government enforce a broken immigration system? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really hard sometimes to tell between uh, kind of the Republican and the Democratic standpoint on that. A lot of times they they try and act like they're they're different on some of these issues, and then they turn around and it's almost a, this practically the same ideology. I actually watched uh, some of. Uh, uh, some of a some of a debate for you running for uh, mayor in Phoenix, and I was listening between the uh, the Democrat and the Republican candidates, and I didn't know until the very end that one of the candidates was even Republican. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he wasn't the best Republican. It's part <laughs> of the reason I was getting traction is um, he didn't necessarily embody all the principles of the Republican Party. So what would you say that, like, uh, libertarians, what, what, what are the, the, the good principles that they take from kind of both sides? Because I know that they do take good and bad from, like, both sides, kind of. Yeah, you know, I always look at it as uh, the Republicans and the Democrats both borrow good libertarian ideas sometimes. Uh, and if they could just borrow all of our ideas, we'd have a much better place. <laughs> um, I mean, there's not... I don't have that much good to say about either of those two parties. Yeah. They're not doing good stuff for the country. I haven't seen it. Um, you know, I'm always happy if I'm wrong. Um, I'm more than happy to have to praise them for doing something good. But it happens so seldom. Uh, mostly it's really just a fight over which team controls Congress or controls the presidency or controls the courts. But it's not to any particular end. And so, you know, it's devolved politics not into what I would consider, you know, a noble struggle of ideas, right? Like, what is it you want out of, out of life? What do you want your country or your state or your city to look like? And it's devolved it into, you know, I need to be in charge because my friends need to be the ones getting the kickbacks, not that other guy's bad friends. Yeah. Um, 
and and it, it leads to some really you know frightening outcomes where where you'll have you know politicians who are supposedly on the left or the right and when given the opportunity to actually do something either progressive or conservative they'll back away from it because you know it's not politically popular it's going to offend their donors or it might affect their re-election you know what is the point of getting elected to public office if not to change policy is it just to to feather your own nest i mean that's a very that's a very sad way to be if you ask me it's not it's not worth the amount of time and effort it takes to run for office just to like you know give out special favors and and get rich <laughs> i don't think it doesn't make sense but still still you see people do it a lot of people time. still do it yeah. <laughs> So, sorry about that. I had to, I had to step away for a minute. The uh, I think I missed a uh, a good chunk of the conversation. I want to I want to uh, double back. I don't know if y'all touched on this. We were talking about freedom. Freedom. Freedom, brother. Uh, when when is there a limit on freedom? Oh shit, that's a good question. Uh, I think when you're harming others, I think that's where you put the limits. De- um. Define harming. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, the clear line is, is physical harm, right? Like you can't, you can't commit violence against somebody else. Um, you can't steal from somebody else. The the harder one is when the harm is more diffuse, right? Like stuff like, um, you know, pollution is always a tough one because if I blow some smoke out of my factory up into the air does it affect you directly enough right right that you can say that that's the reason that my kid you know can't go to school they got sick um and you know those those are the fuzzy lines um but i think really i think having the bright line on on stealing from or defrauding or physically harming others is a good place to put it um just because it, it's it's just clearer, it's easier to enforce, and you don't get into these fights over who gets to run who everyone else's life. Yeah, you know, if if I try and legislate what you can say or what you can think or what you can believe, it ends up it does opposite of what people think it's going to do. People think that if you try and pass laws to prevent people from saying mean things or you know, having terrible beliefs, that it's going to make society nicer. But what it actually does is it makes us more polarized. Yeah. Because it makes the election, you know, not about people who disagree, but agree that they're not going to try and control each other. Instead, it's an election where if those people get in charge, they're going to do this bad thing to me and affect how I can live my life peacefully. So I have to be in charge so I can do this bad thing to them and, and affect how they live their life peacefully. You know, and yeah. and you see it on both sides of this ridiculous culture war. You know, you've got the, the Republicans going after businesses because they've decided that it's easier to have, you know, a non-gender specific bathroom <laughs> than to try and, you know, figure out who's supposed to go where. Yeah. They just 
they're like, we just want to have a bathroom. It's got a <laughs> toilet in it and go in there. You know, uh, one of our candidates for the libertarian nomination in 16 who didn't get it, uh, the late Dr. Mark Allen Feldman said, oh, yeah, he's a, he totally believed in he's two that kind of libertarian. He believed that there should be two bathrooms. Um, one for people who wash their hands and one for people who don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he was yeah he was he was firing a bottle. That's it. That's what Martin Feldman was for sure. For sure. He was. He was, and <laughs> so, he definitely had a way of putting things more clearly. Yeah. Um, you know, he he would talk about the Israeli-Palestinian thing. He's like, I totally support the state of Israel. Uh, and I think anybody should be able to go volunteer their own time and money and, you know, go pick up a gun if they want to. But you shouldn't have the government sending money. That's true. That's true. So kind of what you were just touching base on is something that I want to uh, approach. It's it's more of like a philosophical, I guess, uh, question about libertarianism. Um, voting in general. A lot of people, like, uh, in the real, real far libertarian side of things, aspect of the spectrum, view it uh, as, like, a form of assault. Like, does voting violate the NAP? I don't think so. I mean, voting is a signal of what you want in government, right? It's one of the reasons why you shouldn't vote for the winner, uh, unless you have a bet on it. Because it's not like you win anything if you if you pick it correctly. It's not a horse race or a football game. Um, but voting is a way of expressing your preference of, of what it is that you want. It's a way of signaling what you want. And the problem with not voting versus voting is if you say, look, I don't like my options or I don't want anybody to rule over me, I don't consent. You may think in your head that that's a totally clear signal that you're sending. You know, government's so corrupt that I'm not even going to give it the sanction of going down on a Tuesday to cast my vote. Yeah. The problem is that your signal is muddied because it's combined with everybody who, you know, just couldn't be bothered or, you know, were busy playing Xbox that day or any other reason for not voting. Right? It doesn't send a clear signal. Voting, especially voting for a libertarian, makes it clear that not only do you dislike what the government's doing, you're willing to take that time on a Tuesday to go down to the polls, and you're willing to break apart from people who are in this you know kind of team sport mentality of, I just want to vote for a winner, and actively step outside that box and say, I'm going to vote for a candidate and for a party that stands against everything that you've been doing. I'm going to make it clear to you, this is what I want. I want more freedom across all aspects of my life. That's what I want. And you aren't going to shame me or tell me it's worthless or anything like that to stop me from expressing that preference. And, you know, sometimes libertarian candidates don't win, I've heard, maybe once or twice. <laughs> um, Big L. But every time, it sends a clear signal. And there's a saying from a, a politician very near and dear to me, a guy named Spear Lancaster, who ran for governor in Maryland in 2002. And he used to say, some politicians are dumb and some politicians are corrupt, but all politicians can count. 
every one of those politicians knows how many votes they got. Yep. They know how many votes their opponent got. Yep. And they know how many votes the Libertarian got <laughs> that weren't available for the Republican or the Democrat. And if there are enough of those votes, they will change their behavior in order to keep their job. So, so one of the things I would like to comment on that, something I've been personally wanting to ask you, other libertarians, because, you know, I, I, I've got a good idea of some of the philosophy, etc. I've invested a lot of time into, into the whole process. But I've, I've noticed that there's a large chunk in kind of the libertarian ideology slash, uh, they've kind of left the party, I would say, of like anarcho-capitalists, uh, anarcho-communists, agorists, and stuff like that. How do we? It's it's a really hard thing to sell what you're saying right now to them. How do we revitalize like ties with them? How do we get them? Uh, I mean, active in in a way or not? Um, you know, you, you keep the door open, uh, but you can't spend too much time going after people who feel that it's a good. <laughs> If you feel it's a good strategy to publicly rage quit the party, <laughs> I don't know is it's necessarily a good strategy for the party to go chasing after you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, that, that's just real talk. Have you ever you felt know? like rage quitting? Sometimes. Uh, you know, libertarians have, can sometimes be uh, frustrating. To deal with. <laughs> there's there's never a difference now, of deferring opinion. There's never a shortage of deferring opinion. Now this is a this is a, this is a little party. bit uh, uh, stepping back and uh, looking at a previous thing we discussed. And actually we mentioned it a few times throughout the uh, throughout the show about the the wall. And right now there's a lot of big talk about this this wall that you know originally I think we had money for it during uh, Clinton. Maybe yeah, and I think we got a little bit more money for it in Bush, and it was just never built. And then and then all of a sudden well, they built almost all of it. Oh. That's that's the part that people don't talk about. Like, there's a huge amount of wall along the southern border, yeah. way more than we should have. Now, uh, why do you think? <laughs> what do you think the big is the immigration issue? Is it an issue, or is it just? Is this? Do you think it's actually racial, or do you think people are really? It's more about economy, and they're afraid that uh, they, they they've gone to theme parks and realized that. There can be a term called "too many people," and yeah, <laughs> or is well, it? A, no, it's racial. It's racial. Um, primarily, it's the this administration and the supporters of this administration are not just hostile to illegal immigration; they are hostile to immigration. They have a fundamentally anti-American view of immigration in which they do not want to let anyone else come here. Um, it, is, it is completely contrary to the, the values that built this country, and it's, it's fundamentally destructive to the economy. As soon as you start trying to control a market, you make that market less efficient. It exactly. creates distortions. Any economist exactly. will tell you this. If you decide that you want to put tariffs on steel you're going to make everything more expensive for yeah. american consumers and you're fundamentally going to make american industry less competitive because they won't have to compete anymore it's part of the reason the auto industry nearly collapsed was protectionism 
you know, when you protect American automakers from Japanese imports that are cheaper and lighter and better, you're not doing them any favors in the long term. And you're especially not doing any favors for the consumers. So if you understand that about markets, that freer markets are better for everybody involved, there's no difference in a labor market. You can't centrally plan a labor market. You can't have some expert saying, this is how many people we need to have come into the country. This is the right number and this is the wrong number. If it's over this, it's bad. But if it's under this, it's good. That's, that's absolutely insane and fundamentally violates every economic principle. But people are, I guess, scared of having people who don't look like them come to this country. So true. And that's where we're at, you know. But the idea that there's not a, that this is an economic fight is ludicrous. And it's not even supported by the data. You know, over the last decade, net migration is a negative number. People are not coming to this country as often as they used to, um, partially because of the economy, right? right? And the beauty of having uh, a more open immigration system is that you would allow the labor market to adjust to changing conditions so that if there were a lot of extra jobs that were not being filled, then people would immigrate here to take those jobs and fill them, creating economic prosperity. And if we suffer a recession where those jobs are gone, then people would go back to where they came from because there wasn't work anymore. But when you make immigration difficult and you make people spend, you know, tens, thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to be smuggled into the country, then even if the economy goes south, they can't go back south. Tens of thousands of dollars. It's too much. Yeah, no, human smuggling, man. It's a it's a racket. Where, yeah, we where, know, where the, do they the live? The drug where do they where do they live when they get here? Well, How that, can they afford that an was apartment? One of the things we were talking about Jan Broberg with too was was that that whole smuggling thing. But how, how where do you where do you buy it a how can you afford a house and an apartment somewhere after you get in? Called <laughs> oh, roommates. I mean, basically immigrants tend to be more resourceful. Oh, you know, the, sure. the thing about immigrants is it's by default, your standard immigrant is going to be more entrepreneurial than your average person that, that was born here. Because that is a person who has left their country of birth, um, oftentimes left a place where they speak the language, to come here for opportunity, right? They're, they're yeah. automatically a risk taker, right? Because the easy thing to do is stay where you were born. The hard thing to do is go seek opportunity to make your life and your family's life better. So, especially in a new you know, country, that's you know that's insane. So, are you against taking over other countries and just making opportunity there? <laughs> I think that yeah, I think that would violate the NAP. Huh? Yeah, I don't. think We should take over other countries. <laughs> yeah, no. um, I think that's usually a bad yeah, idea. Maybe if they voluntarily. But I'm totally for people concede. going wherever they want to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. No, I'm I'm pro people going where they want to go. I just, but, I mean, like, I feel like this is an issue that you know, maybe was relevant like ten plus I, years ago, but now like I, it coming out of the woodwork just doesn't make do, sense. I mean, I just didn't know if countries don't have uh, countries don't have American revolutions anymore. <laughs> no, well, I don't know, man. Uh, this, I mean, well, usually Spain, when they have them, we, you know, the United States government suppresses them. What jerks? <laughs> yeah, 
the, yeah. um, the whole Catalonia movement and whatnot. That's Catalonia, fresh. you know, the the Arab Spring, um, you know, we, we get involved in a lot of civil wars in other countries. And this is where being uh, an isolationist would come in handy. We wouldn't F with people. Being an isolationist, oh my God. Well, it's, it's better to just trade with people, right? Yeah. Because right. if they're busy trying to figure out how to swap their stuff for your money, they're not busy trying to blow things up. Yeah. Unless it's for guns. Well, um, I think uh, <laughs> it's been awesome having you on. I think we're kind of wrapping up here. We're gonna have uh, Eamon has a few more questions. Yeah, but um, okay. you got yeah no all right. So um, one of the things that I'd like to focus on, kind of like what you touched on a second ago, uh, when it comes to uh, trade and the market, is um, I, I got a question uh, from from someone that's actually a Libertarian Party member of Canada, and they wanted to get kind of your your idea on this. It says, uh, you know, what is it like if you'd like to talk a little bit about what's the difference between real free trade, you know, like uh, and say like NAFTA or the USMCA and how it's more, you know, how it's possibly more beneficial. Right. So. So real free trade is anybody who's a willing buyer or seller gets to sell or buy with anybody else who who is a willing buyer or seller. Right. So real free trade doesn't need a free trade agreement or a law because, yeah. you know, the default should be that you just get to buy or sell with whoever you want. Um, that said, when you create, a, you create a larger region in which you have freer trade, that's generally beneficial. And, you know, looking at things like NAFTA or um, uh, what was the trade agreement that the this administration struck down or didn't agree to, mm-hmm. the Asia-Pacific one? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, on net, those are usually better for trade between countries. The problem that you get with them is that each country has a representative who's going to come to the table and say... Well, this is a very important industry for the people in my country, so I'm okay with willing buyers and sellers doing whatever they want, you know, on all these on these products, but not this particular one. You yeah. know, things like the Japanese are very um, protective of their rice industry. Uh, Canada is very protective of its timber industry. Americans are very protective of their meatpacking industry. Uh, you know. I think Mexico is concrete or cement. You know, there, there's various industries where they're, they're, they're a powerful lobbying force in that country. And so the trade representatives that go and negotiate those agreements are like, yeah, mostly free trade, but not for this one thing. Um, and that's just, that's kind of a human nature thing, right? Like it's difficult to get to totally free trade because it's natural for people to try and get advantage uh, for their industry or for their business. Yeah, for sure. And part of, you know, being kind of reality-based as a libertarian, you don't deny the fact that people want to get these advantages. You recognize it. And you say, how do we design a system where we can handle the fact that people want to get these advantages and still have it be fair? It's, it's like sitting down at a poker table, right? Okay. Everybody at that table wants to win money. So 
you can still set up rules of the game and you can have a fair dealer that's not you know actually playing you can have cameras you can have things to make sure that while all these people are trying to take each other's money they're doing it in a way that recognizes that they would all like to get advantage yeah and so doesn't let them right when you have a dealer that's provided by the card room or the casino they are not going to let you mark cards yeah so a very good way of explaining it um and that kind of kind of goes for how uh you know it it impacts like how free trade is impacted by say like crony capitalism and, and stuff like that that's pretty much what you're outlining so yeah i totally agree with that mm-hmm. okay um one of the other big ones that uh all right i got i got a question from a full go- full-blown uh agorist here that says <laughs> okay it's kind of laughable what they say why pursue using the state as a form of like free trade besides like over over full-blown uh agorism i uh- does he have full-blown agorism working somewhere that I don't know about? <laughs> I mean, that's it. I think it's a philosophical the, theory. Yeah. Well, no, no. It, it's it's the, you know, one of our party members wrote a post a while back about how they try and buy food from, you know, people that sell it on Instagram. And they try and, you know, get their house clean by somebody that they pay under the table where there's no taxes involved. Right. So they engage in that kind of agorist stuff where, you know, transactions that are outside the the view of the state are fundamentally freer. But that doesn't mean that you stop trying to dismantle the state. Right. And and the only way you're going to dismantle it is to be allowed close enough to dismantle it. So it's it's about it's about diversifying what you do in life. Right, like a lot of the ANCAPs and agorists, to me, they seem like they're just quitters. You know, that they've decided that they can't win. And so they're going to do the whole sour grapes thing and be like, ah, I didn't want political power anyway. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to try and win an election. You know, people are dumb, people are stupid, people are sheep. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want <laughs> to sheep, so. try and convince them because they're not woke enough. And it's just, it's a cop out. You know, you can you can engage in agorism. You can, you know, keep keep some of your money in crypto. You can do stuff that works outside the state without giving up the ability to do stuff that tries to change the state at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good way of explaining it. And like I said, that's that's one of the things that I you know. I personally like hearing about because I like hearing the different forms of ideological ideological standpoints comparative to like uh, say minarchy, which most most libertarians, like big libertarians, agree as. Um, one of the things that me and my co-host uh, Adam were talking about earlier was we were looking at like uh, say Glenn Jacobs who won his uh, he won his election, um, and one of the things that he like outlined. Even I believe he ran as a Republican, but immediately was saying that he won as a Libertarian. I, that doesn't make sense to me. But one of the things that that he was stating was uh, like kind of like practical uses of Libertarianism, where it differs from uh, you know kind of like a, almost extremist ideologies. Uh, 
I don't know. I mean, help me help me understand the question a little better. <laughs> okay, I was just kind of like, um, how how would what is a a logical way of being able to enact libertarian principles uh, on on modern society? Because a lot of a lot a lot of the political game is kind of like when they discuss libertarians, they admire it in like. Oh, we want to kill this. We want to kill this. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Like in, and everything beneficial, all the social webs and etc. Right. So the way that you get around that is you have to talk to people about the values that they already have. Right. Okay. You're not going to convince them to have your values. You have to talk to them about the values that they were raised with, that they got from you know their background. And so, one of the strongest things you can do is find those shared goals you know everybody wants to have a prosperous life everybody wants to um you know raise their kids the way they want send them to a good school have them get a good education uh you know have opportunity yeah if people want the same things then you can say look um you know our big thing isn't that we we don't have the same goals our big thing is we've we've looked at the solution you have, you know, using more government or passing more laws, and this is why it doesn't work really well. Yeah. This is this is the unintended consequence that you may not have thought of, and this is how, you know, allowing more freedom, even though it may seem counterintuitive and it might look a little messier, is more likely to get you to the goal that you have. Yeah. You know, you have to show people how it's going to help them. Or um, they won't be interested, and people will always try and marginalize ideas that are either new or ideas that would take away some of their power. And we just have to expect it, and you know, respond uh, in ways that resonate. Yeah, thanks, Nick. That's uh, that that was a very good way of explaining it as well. So I've got a question um, that comes from kind of a. Uh, I guess a liberty-minded Republican, someone that kind of flirted with libertarianism, but I guess is still stuck in the uh, Republican Party or whatever. Uh, they they wanted to ask you personally about like, uh, say the reaction towards like um, AP Austin Peterson leaving the party and running as a Republican, and then also like. Uh, it says versus like Bill Weld leaving the party and running as a Republican. Okay. What, what do they think is different? I think they're trying to say that like, uh, just the reaction of, of how it was towards Austin Peterson was a little bit more, uh, what they viewed as like hostile, I guess, versus Bill Weld's. Yeah. I mean, both of them gave me a call the day before they said they were going to, go and, and join a different political party. Um, I wish them both good luck. You know, I don't think, I don't see where people see the hostility. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a mistake, I think, for for him to do what he did. Um, it didn't work out well. No. But, no. you know, that's his choice. And, you know, I think it's probably a mistake uh, for Governor Weld to do what he's doing, but he has... A specific goal of you know helping the president go back to private life and he thinks that this will be the most most successful way to achieve that goal 
and you know it's his life he gets to do what he wants um you know my focus is on trying to keep the libertarian party strong exactly one of the things that was a little different about it was uh, austin famously gave a speech at the national convention in 2016 talking about political opportunists going and running as republicans and democrats and explaining that he wasn't a political opportunist <laughs> I, I guess i shouldn't and be so laughing and so people did that, think it was harsh for me to to repeat austin's words back yeah, or yeah. send out a clip of what he said um and you know that's the problem with saying stuff right yeah is yeah. people get to 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 repeat it back to you you know it's just like um somebody when i was learning to practice law somebody's like objection that's prejudicial and the judge is like no all evidence is prejudicial otherwise it wouldn't be evidence <laughs> the question is is it unfairly prejudicial right <laughs> yeah yeah the nature of evidence is it makes something more or less likely to be true um so you know it would be unfair to like go after austin on some sort of personal characteristic like his looks or you know make something up about him yeah yeah exactly i don't think it was unfair to point out that he was less than two years removed from calling anybody who ran as a republican uh, an opportunist yeah I, I, just like it's not unfair for people to point out you know that Bill Weld said he was a libertarian for life on stage in 2016, right? Yeah. Like, that's not unfair for people to say it. Um, and he's a big boy and he can take it. And, you know, that is what it, that is what it is. Yeah, I think a lot of people just try and, try and focus on, on uh, discourse or whatnot, especially in, it, it feels like libertarians just have this really strong habit of, uh, trying to tear other libertarians down, and it's a, it's a shame. But at the same time, uh, you know, like some some political contrast and stuff is is healthy for the party. Period. Um, and that's why that's why I wanted to ask you some of these questions today. Bring up some of the. I know I I, yeah. I, I, I know you, Nick. I know that you are very very capable of clearing up some of these questions, and that's why like I, I took the opportunity. Uh, and, and I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be able to bring some of the stuff up to you. So with that, um, let's kind of focus more on on some some of your personal stuff. This is the Opinions and Beer podcast. So uh, I, I read a little bit about uh, something about you being a beer guy yourself. I am. Uh, I do like beer. I have been brewing beer, although I haven't. Uh, done it much since I moved to Phoenix because it's very difficult to get a good cold break here. Uh, the water temperature is actually too warm in the summer. Um, but I've been brewing beer for I think going on twenty years now. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of beer. Um, kind of give some of our uh, listeners uh, more insight into the uh, the crafting process. So um, I am a big believer that knowledge is one of the few things that, that no one can take from you. Um, you can lose money, you can lose relationships, you can lose a lot, but you can't lose what you know. And so when you brew your own beer, 
or you know i i bake my own sourdough bread with a starter i made myself um or you grow your own food or you do your own work around the house or you fix your own car there is an empowerment there that changes who you are uh i think for the better i think it, it builds good character and it it empowers you to look at the world in a different way but it also makes you appreciate more the other people that do it for you if you choose not to do it yourself you know i've i've refinished my own hardwood floors um and it it was not something that i would ever do again but i was very happy with <laughs> how it turned out it just yeah. that's not work i like um brewing beer is a little bit more soothing it's a lot like um you know it's almost a meditation yeah, or a relaxation. I, I've never heard anyone break it down into like a philosophical standpoint before. That's that's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, I mean, true, it makes you, you, if you know how to brew beer, you actually appreciate Budweiser. More yeah, yeah. Because you know how hard it is to get a consistent product. You know, there's so much that can go wrong in brewing beer. Because you're dealing with a living organism in a yeast, um, you know, a little bit of bad sanitation at any point in the process can totally spoil everything. But when you do it right, you can have, you know, some yeast go into some sugar water, basically, and you can get flavors like, you know, banana and orange and, and clove that come out of nothing more than the action of yeast working on those sugars to break them down into alcohol and carbon dioxide. And it's a good, um, I think it's a good analogy for how the world can work without trying to control it too much. Okay. Okay. The yeasts are going to do their own thing. And if you just kind of let go a little bit of control, you know, you control what you put into the process, you control making sure everything's clean you then let the yeast do their own thing, and it works out real well. I'm giving you a golfer's clap for that one. That was nice. Yeah. So, um, so what would you say, like, like you've tried, uh, uh, what replicating like Bud Light in the past or something? Or no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> it's not my. It's, it's the kind of thing you like if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I've actually never. I've never done a lager because I never had a lager fridge for it. Um, lagers are hard. Because you're, you're doing a cold ferment. Uh, they take longer. Um, but, I mean, the problem, the reason that they're a hard style is you're going for that clarity. You're going for that lightness. Okay. And so there's nothing to cover it up. When you do an IPA or you do a stout, there's so many other flavors involved that mistakes can kind of get, you know, ignored. Um Really light, crisp styles are hard. No, my favorites are, um, you know, I really like, like, saisons and, you know, some of the hotter ferments where you get a lot more interesting flavors. Okay, yeah. Uh, You know, I like one of my favorite beers to have, especially in the summertime, is like, um, there's a brewery just around the corner from my house that does a really great... Berliner Weiss, where, you know, really low alcohol by volume, maybe 2.8, 3.1%. And that's more of like uh-huh. a sour, correct? 
Yeah, a little bit of little bit of sourness, a little bit of um, kind of the the nose on it is almost like a Parmesan cheese. Okay, like it's got it's got a little bit of a, an interesting aroma to it, but it's just a really good drinkable beer. Um, that that bit of tanginess to it makes you want to drink more of it. It's actually uh, an old brewer's trick. Uh, if you're going to put something on tap at a restaurant, you know, go with a sour because it uh, triggers salivation and makes people drink more of it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And especially if it's a lower lower percentage, I guess I'd need a little bit more anyways, huh? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Um, I, I love the description of the entire process. Um, I kind of... I love personally how I've I've ventured from uh, say just old old Bud Lights and stuff like that to uh, I lean more towards like stouts now um, IPAs I'm really trying to find a good one that just blows me away but I'm not it just depends it depends on the bitterness and whatnot um, but yeah, I'm I'm loving this cool this entire process. Uh, we we sit here and try a new beer uh, every uh, every episode. So, um, man, if you ever get back into the uh, the crafting process, you let us know, man. We'll uh, we'll get like a Liberty beer going that we can try on the podcast. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, buddy. All right, man. Uh, I really appreciate every bit of time that you've uh, spent with us. Um, uh, I know that we've we've taken a little bit more time than uh, than allowed, and I, I do apologize for that. But it's been a really phenomenal experience just ha- having the ability to talk to you. Um, so if there's anything else that you would like to plug, uh, please be sure to to throw all that out here right now. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know anyone who wants more freedom in their community should definitely get involved in the Libertarian Party. Uh, you know, it's not everything. Politics isn't everything, but you're you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not engaged at some level. So visit lp.org slash join, sign up, um, do do what you can to change your community. If you want to see more of what I'm doing, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at nsarwark on Facebook. It's Facebook slash nsarwark and Instagrams uh, nsarwark. It's it is helpful to have a unique last name. Right. Uh, you get all the good user handles <laughs> yeah my buddy he was sitting there saying that he was going to call you uh in star wars this entire time <laughs> <laughs> star wars and sidewalk and <laughs> and there's an indonesian island called sarawak that is uh spell check often helps people out <laughs> so it, it just directs them uh directly to your like facebook feed and, and twitter feed. <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool man yeah, but um, like I said, I really appreciate you you spending the time with us here today. Uh, sorry that Adam had to cut out, but you know it was it was a great interview, and I'm I'm hoping that maybe in the future uh, you'd be willing to come back on again sometime. Um, yeah. man, it's it's like I said, it's been great talking to you, but uh, I'll let you get get on to your your uh, your chilling, all your little children. <laughs> all right, thanks a lot. All right, buddy, have a good one. You too. Bye bye. Okay, so um, man, that was uh, really that was a really cool interview. Um, one of the things that we we want to talk about on the podcast is you know we try and infuse uh, current events and politics into some things. Um, I you know we we don't we don't try and do too much of politics. 
but we there needs to be a platform for differing views of the spectrum. You know, we had somebody that was kind of uh, affiliated with the Green Party before, and you know, maybe in the future we can get some more other people uh, from, from maybe maybe Big R and Big D's, you know, to come out here and uh, to have have a little bit of a contrast in uh, uh, our normal interviews. Um, I'm I'm a fan of Nick Sarwark. Uh, he's one of the main uh, reasons why I split. In the in the past, I was uh, uh, I was I was raised in a Republican household. I just knew that that wasn't for me. I knew that there was something inherently wrong with it. It didn't feel right. Like it it felt like there was too much hate being preached in it. So uh, I slipped more towards like uh, the Democratic side. Uh, learn more about like communism, Marxism, etc. And I thought, oh man, this this just sounds like the perfect, like this sounds like what the world needs is this ideology. Like if everybody was working together, that sounds so great. And it was really heartbreaking to come to find out that the Democratic Party and socialism and communism and Marxism all had like this weird hypocritical flaw to them that just didn't seem to work either. And I, I couldn't figure out what it was until I did some more research. Um, you know, I saw a couple, I uh, saw a couple crazy memes about, uh, the libertarian party. I did like, a I did this, uh, like, I don't know, almost this political affiliation check when I was in high school. Like it was on, it went along with our, like, uh, almost our career choices or whatnot. And whenever I did it, it came up like uh, libertarian slash like constitutionalist. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand what this is. That's, that's a fake party. That's not real. Like uh, I'm obviously a Democrat. George Bush is the devil, etc. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, so, um, from there, uh, one of my buddies, like, uh, you know, I, I was trying to get other people's opinions on like the election coming up and it was I want to say like 2008 uh, and and my buddy said hey you know I'm supporting Ron Paul check him out and I, I checked out I, I, I liked Hillary Clinton I liked uh, Barack Obama at the time I, I thought that uh, uh, college tuition reform was just the perfect way to go going from there to full-blown libertarianism is such it's it's crazy to see that difference in uh, in stances, but over time, uh, I, I you know you can tell that like free freedom is a hard choice to be against. You know, there's a lot of uh, discourse and and negative uh, portrayal of of all parties of all parties, and you have to be able to sift through what what is being played at you through politics and what is you know actually factual and there's good parts for every party there's bad parts to, for every party the only thing that I know is that having an opinion shouldn't be wrong hello and welcome to opinions and beer I'm your host Adam with me today is our very special co-host, Eamon. Hey, how you doing today? It's Eamon. I'm here. Today's beer of the day is Founders Porter. That's it. Founders Porter. 
they don't have to have some special fancy name. They just straight up, it's a porter made by founders. <laughs> well, they have some fancy ass art on It's a. It's got a what's, really attractive lady. Uh, she's very obviously. Old Sandrine. Maybe, what would you say, like Victorian era? Or yeah, whatever? Vic- a Victorian age uh, art going on here. Yeah, this was. She was definitely uh, 12 out of 10 back in the Victorian <laughs> day era. Like, uh. And she's got a little heart drawn on, uh, drawn on her. It is. It is 6.5% in alcohol by volume. Has a 40. Has an IBU rating of 45. Uh, dark, rich, and sexy is the tagline for this one. You want me to read this stuff on it? Sure. It says, uh, "Pours silky black with a creamy tan head. The nose is sweet with strong chocolate and caramel malt presence." No absence of hops gives Founders' robust porter the full flavor you deserve and expect. Cozy like velvet, it's a lover, not a fiver. Ooh, Ooh. that's why they got this really pretty lady on it. <laughs> We're going to have to link the box art so y'all know what now, I'm uh, talking about. Obviously, uh, you know, I said, well, I, I've said in... Um, a few times now that uh, porters are probably my favorite. Yeah, that's, uh, that's beer your type. thing, right? I love porters. So, so what made you go from I don't know Budweiser? That how? What was your, your <laughs> beard trek from like Budweiser or some random you know shit that we grew up with to porters? Uh, like what would you say? I don't know. <laughs> it was just random. Just ran, you random. Because it really started. Because really, I I really just moved to blondes. L's and and uh, and then uh, white IPAs and then IPAs and then and then uh, porters and stouts. Yeah, so you've kind of like slinked over through the spectrum. Yeah, over time I had to get darker and darker. Is what happened. Yeah, I started well because I switched because I switched. But not too dark. Too dark is just. Too well, much. I switched. Yeah, I switched I'll, from. <laughs> I like how you like right on. Yeah, the, like because ah. I switched from lager. I switched from lager to L, and then I went. I started at the very bottom of L, and made my way up. Because actually, I even started because technically, if you think about it, I really did fruit L first, or even that, it might be half lager, but you know the. Line and Kugel, the Shandies. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. can't, I can't remember what a shand, I can't remember what kind of yeast they use in Shandies. It may very well be a lager, but I think most fruit beer, I think most fruit beers are L's, and so. And you know, any time I taste like a Line and Kugel, my mind just like, I know it obviously isn't, but my mind just screams like, oh, this is like a cider, because <laughs> because this, one of the things I liked about Line and Kugels is their their flavor comes through so well. Yeah. Like, in those types of beers. Anyway, speaking of flavors of beers, <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and try this uh, Founders Porter. Okay. That smells really good. What it is, I think all all porters taste like coffee, or like a they have that coffee, they really 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 coffee taste. I've I've noticed it thus far. Everyone that we that we go to, the darker beers that we drink, almost all of them were like. Man, this is this is almost like a coffee salad or something yeah. like that. And I definitely taste it in this one as well. But um, <laughs> I'm fucking fine with that. I love coffee. Yeah. I love beer. Exactly. And this one, it's 
it's almost sweet whenever you're first drinking it like whenever it hits it's real real nice and then that last hit is like a little is like a little bitter yeah so it takes that sweetness out of it and i like i really this uh, just one sip into this beer and i can tell you already i really enjoy it like oh yeah i mean very creamy so where did where did you find founders at was that just at one of the local uh, places or founders is find? founders is actually sold at like hebs and stuff things like that okay to so, be honest with you so not like you can't go pick it up at walmart but you might be able to pick it at one of your other local places uh well bigger ones bigger ones? like a kroger's oh okay. kroger heb not like a brooks brothers or market basket okay <laughs> Not your local channel. Uh, well, HEB's. Well, HEB isn't local. It's just Texas. Well, it's so cool here in Texas. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they have in other countries. I mean, states. States. <laughs> in other countries. It, it's all. It's all. It's, it's like all it's the a same. Different country, anyway. So. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> you seen the meme where it's like, uh, Texas and it's forty nine bitches or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But uh, where where is Founders at? Michigan? I don't know. Let me look it up real quick. Uh... Oh yeah, Michigan. Oh, Grand Rapids, cool. Michigan. Cool. They let us know immediately. So, uh... so it's yeah, it's another one of those northern places. Starting to grow. Man, today was fun. I, I like this beer. Uh, we we chatted with Nick Starwork. Yeah, Nicholas Starwork. Nicholas Starwork. Yeah. The beer is good, but I think I'm gonna give it a seven. Okay. <laughs> because, uh, or maybe a, maybe a six. It's just uh, I don't have a lot of things to it's, say about it's it. It's got 45 <laughs> IBUs too. As well. I know. I, I, I just don't have a lot to say about. How do you? How do you? I know that we've said it before, but uh, just for the people just now tuning in, like, how do you go about uh, rating like the IBUs and stuff like this? Uh, this one says it's 45 IBUs. You said that's like a general uh, way it, to like determine how bitter it is. Yes. Yeah, how it like? How would you say? And the weird thing is, the weird thing is, is like depending high. on what's depending on how much uh how much malt, how much malt they put in it, which in darker beers is a lot. Uh, malt will actually tame. You could drink a a beer with forty five IBUs. That's like uh darker, and then you can drink another one with forty five IBUs. That's lighter. And it's more hops than malt, and it will taste, uh, you know, way more bitter. Really? So it's just really how they, how they. So you think the, the malt kind of deadens? It does. That bitterness. It does. That's kind of cool. But uh. It's it's very interesting. But apparently, the um, a lot of there there's some beers out there that have gone past a hundred IBUs, oh, which a wow. hundred is the cap, but they just have no. <laughs> there's like no way to there's describe no way to it. Disc- it's like <laughs> so like eating like drinking like fucking but, dirt mixed yeah, with i don't yeah. know toxic waste i, I can't remember like, who i can't remember who does it i think um uh Ar- oh, arrogant bastard i think arrogant bastard they make a lot of beers where uh what where bastard? the where the i arrogant where the ibus where the ibus are actually higher an over 100 well, they, they're they're higher than the uh <laughs> Than than the scale. Have you have can you measure. have you tried something that's that bitter yet? Like, uh, I I I want to try it again to see if if it was just my palate, but arrogant bastards. Uh, oaked no oaked arrogant bastard. 
if yeah. I, that one was so bitter. I think when I first tried it, I gave it a one or two. <laughs> I was like, and then I looked it up, and I looked it up, and uh, they were like, "You may not be sophisticated enough to enjoy this beer." I'm like, "Oh, oh okay. screw wow. you, wow. What a... bastards!" So wow, they they are just eating that shit up. But they're, huh? I mean, they're actually a really good uh, brewing company. They made that, um, they made that really good uh, Metallica Pilsner that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Should I rate it double trouble? Oh my god. <laughs> no, I would give this a uh, very dark, rich, and sexy lass out of not lasses. So <laughs> not lasses. I would, I would definitely say that it, like on a numerical scale, yeah, I would have to say it's like a six or a seven. But like that's where I mean with it because it is good. Like, if this would be a really good beer to be like, yo, have you ever had a porter? And someone's like, uh, no, what's porter taste like? And you're like, this, because it's the most basic fucking porter yeah, that there yes. is. Like, that yes, would be yes. a very good description of this. So. But, you know, that's just our opinion. <laughs> and that's fine, because this is Opinions and Beer. And Beer!